today uh, we're going to move into John 8, verses 1 through 11. Then each of them went home, while Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people who came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, it's commanded that we stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Then they kept questioning him. He straightened up and he said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Once again he bent, bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, neither, neither do I condemn you. Go your way. And from now on, do not sin again. Chapters 7 and 8 go pretty much together. And I'm going to take you back to this, the setting where this has happened before we explore too far into this. Um, in, Jesus was in Galilee doing ministry. His brothers came to him. It was time for the Feast of Tabernacles where everybody goes to Jerusalem. They suggested to him that he go along, and at first he said no. They went ahead, and then he followed them in secret. To Jerusalem to the Feast of Tabernacles. Now a little bit about this feast because it's going to help us focus in on, on what was going on here. The Feast of Tabernacles was laid out by Moses uh, to celebrate their time in the desert, the time that God led them through the wilderness. It's really interesting to watch how Jesus ties himself in as fulfillment of so much of this. If you remember the Passover was when the uh, lamb's blood was put over the, the Hebrews doors so that the uh, spirit of death would pass, in, uh, pass by their children, their eldest child. And Jesus became our Passover lamb. Here in the Feast of Tabernacles, it was a celebration and there was a river, Shiloh, that ran in the foothills just below the temple. It was literally in the shadow of the temple. 
And that was the water supply for Jerusalem, life-giving water. And they celebrated that. And in this Feast of Tabernacles, uh, it's an eight-day celebration, and each day at some point the priest and those around him would go down singing. This was a joyful celebration. And they would go down singing and get in a gold flask, they would get some water and bring back up. And as they came back in the water gate, no less, at the old city of Jerusalem, uh, they would be met by trumpets and singing and celebration. And then, then the priest that had the honor of carrying this golden flask would get to go up, take it on up to the altar. A very, very special time. And they refer back to Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3. If I can find it quickly, I had marked it. With joy, you will draw waters from the wells of salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the well of salvation. Well then, on in chapter 7, back to chapter 7, Jesus had hung low during the first part of the festival. And then about halfway through, he had begun his teaching. And in chapter 7, verse 37, he says, On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me. And let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Let anyone who is thirsty come to him. Jesus ties him, himself into fulfillment of this celebration. You might think that this scripture is about the sin of adultery or how Jesus feels about sex sexuality, but that's not the focus at all. It, it is when you break it out by itself, but when you keep it in chapters 7 through 8, you'll find it's just one mini-drama among many in those chapters. They're really about the identity of Jesus, who he is, and here he's telling them, I am the living water. Later he says, I am the light of the world in verse 8-12. So it's about Jesus' uh, identity. It's about interpretation of scripture. We heard Pastor Chad talk about that last week. He talked about the, um, the letter of the law versus the heart of the law. The letter of the law versus the heart of law. And so here again, we're, uh, we're talking about interpretation. And, and Chad shared about in verse 5 how he had healed on a Sunday. And he confronts him and he says, hey, you circumcised on a Sunday. It has to be on the eighth day if that falls. Or not on a Sunday. On a, it would have been Saturday for them. On the Sabbath, you, he, you circumcise on the Sabbath, but you don't want someone healed on the Sabbath. So he challenges them. And the anger against him is building. So these chapters are about who Jesus is, about 
right interpretation, the letter of the law versus the heart of the law. It's about the decision that we have to make with what to do with Jesus. Now, you can deny him or ignore him, or you can accept him. But if you accept him, it calls for a decision. His presence in your life calls for change. And that decision is also a part of 7 and 8, is at chapters 7 and 8. And then finally, it, it, those chapters are about the increasing anger that is growing against Jesus. So let's turn back again to 8. And it's very clear that they have brought her, the woman, as an object. They don't really care about her sin. Scripture tells us they came to test Jesus, to test him. Now, they've tested him before. Remember when they challenged him about um, which, which commandment was the greatest? You know, if you say, well, it's honor your father and your mother, then, then they'll hang you for not, uh, not literally. Uh, they'll go after you for not honoring the other. The others, it's kind of, they were hoping it was uh, a losing situation for him. But do you remember what he told them when they asked which was the most important scripture? What was the first one? Yes, love the Lord your God. And then the second, you know this, I'm sorry, your neighbor is yourself. Yes, and, and those two are alike, he said, and you know, and if you do those two, all the others will fall into place, and he had it covered. So they were challenging him again. What are you going to do with this woman? The letter of the law is she should be stoned. But they knew that wasn't where Jesus' mercy and grace came from. Do you know the difference between mercy and grace? You know, mercy is when you deserve something, a punishment. And you don't get it. You're shown mercy. You're granted your freedom, as this woman was. Grace is unmerited favor. When you haven't earned something but it's given freely. And Jesus is good at both of these, at mercy and at grace. Okay, so they're challenging him on this. And he bends down and writes in the dirt. Now, we're not told what he writes, and it doesn't matter, or we would have been told. But the impression that that would have given what impression uh, would I get if, if you're working on your checkbook while I'm preaching? And that happens. Uh, a friend of my husband's used to in the, in the choir at, at church always do his checkbook up there. It gives the effect that you're not engaging, you're ignoring, you're just not connected 
And Jesus ignores them. And he writes in the dirt. And they keep questioning him. What's going on? You know, come on, answer us. And finally he looks up. And he said, those of you without sin cast the first stone. Those of you without sin. And then he looked back on the ground and continued to write. And they left one by one. Did you catch it? The Pharisees first. Those of you without sin cast the first stone. We know that then he looked up, and this is the first time that anyone has spoken to the woman. And Jesus says, where are those that condemn you? And she said, well, no one, no one's here. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Do you hear? Don't ever forget that last line. It wasn't that Jesus was accepting the sin, accepting the behavior, but he expected her to change her life, to live differently. He had given her mercy, and he expected a difference, a decision in her life to follow him. And he goes on in verse 12, uh, that those that follow me will never walk in the darkness. Never walk in the darkness. Let's look at Romans uh, 3.23. Naturally, I have lost my place. Oh, there it is. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Do you think that's true in your life? Do you recognize that none of us are perfect? I'm certainly not. We have all done things that we shouldn't have. We have all done things that we wish we hadn't. We have all, well, I've done things that I'm ashamed of. And... Tell you what, that grace of God, that mercy that he has given me, I couldn't be here without it. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. So what do we do with this? There's sinners around us. I'm reminded of, of one time when I was preaching and, and um, I got to the point and I said, if any of you haven't sinned, you can leave. This sermon's not for you. And over there in the corner was our youth pastor, and he had three little kids. And he scooped up the little one and started down the side aisle. And we all just kind of look at each other, and we watch him as he goes out and gets out into the narthex. And then everybody broke out into laughter because he had no clue what I had just said. But we're surrounded by people that make mistakes. None of us are perfect. So let's look and see what Scripture tells us to do about that. And let's turn to Galatians 
Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Gently. We don't attack them. We don't gossip about them. We talk to them gently. And now, this is talking about uh, brothers and sisters uh, and someone that has fallen to restore them. So this is somebody that was a Christian that wanted to walk the Christian walk to be restored. And we go to each other. But there's something even more important uh, in Matthew, or equally as important, in Matthew 18. If your brother or sister, and, and um, some of the translations say of somebody in the church, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Both of those verses talk about rest, restoration, winning them over, bringing them back. We heard in Galatians, we do it gently, not attackingly. Now, one of Matthew from Matthew strikes me so much because it's so much easier if somebody hurts you or is doing something wrong to go to your best friend, to go to my best friend, and I've done it, and say, do you know what she's doing? Do you know what he's done? Instead of going to the person themselves. And yet scripture is very clear that we go first to that person. It goes on, and, and again we're talking about in the church. It goes on and said after you go to that person, if that doesn't work, then you go to the church. And or to a, a couple of you go. And then if that one doesn't work, then you go to the church. In 20-some years of ministry, I've only had to do that once. Only once. Go that far. But again, this is scripture dealing with ourselves, our life in the church. We're going into Soak the City. And praying over the streets is just the beginning we're here to make disciples for Jesus Christ. And when we get out there, we're going to find people that do things differently than we do. That don't dress like us, don't look like us, don't act like us. What do we do with that? Well, of course, we all want to bring them to Christ and, and make sure they're, they're perfect and, and do things right. But that's not going to happen overnight, is it? So if we're to be gentle with each other and not gossip and go directly to the person that has hurt us, how much more carefully do we have to approach those I found, those that are outside of the church? I found that by listening to someone, by hearing their story first, hearing what they believe first, or what they don't believe, that they are much more willing to listen to what we have to share. And that takes time. You know, we like to think of conversion as somebody jumping up and saying, I give my life to Christ. I love it when that happens. I think Chad's was almost 
instantaneous like that. I love it when that happens. But more often or not, you have to love somebody first. You have to shower them with your time. Be there for them. Hear their story. And then you can share yours. And even then, you may have gotten their curiosity up. But old habits are hard to break. You know, none of us, as we said, have, have we've all fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are perfect because we're not Jesus. But we keep trying. And it's worthwhile. Not everyone that you befriend will become a Christian. I wish they would, but not everyone. But what if one does? What if one person turns their life around because you were kind to them? What if one person meets Jesus because you took time to listen? What if one person has eternal life because you were there for them in their time of need? I'm going to close with a, an example of that. Uh, a lady I knew a number of years ago, um, she was my son's age, and she lived with a man and was in an abusive relationship. Like so many, it was, it was wonderful, and he was just Mr. Right when he was sober, and then when he was drunk, the violence started. She went to a non-denominational church seeking something, knowing she needed something, knowing she couldn't go on like this and not knowing what to do. And the pastor came to her house and said, you know, you're living a life of sin. Decide what you want to do. Decide whether you want to come to church or live in this sinful relationship. This young woman felt that she could not leave. He had her convinced that there was no way out, that she could not leave with anything except the clothes on her back, and that she couldn't make it on her own, and she believed him. And so she had no church. She had no place to turn. And sometime after that, she visited the church where I was preaching. She came with a friend. And then she talked to me afterwards and told me her situation and asked if she would be welcome. What was I going to do? Tell her no? She couldn't come? I had the blessing of sharing Christ with her for nearly three years. She was still in that abusive relationship, but she had some place to come, someone to talk to, someone to tell her about Jesus. And finally, she was brave enough to get out. And that church, bless her hearts, gave her enough for a deposit on an apartment of her own. I heard later, I... Uh, I, and that relationship, mine with her, continued for about five years. And 
And uh, later after I had gone to another church, uh, she started going to the church. Her husband and his family had belonged to her new husband. Uh, she, she remarried and, and went to church with him. And I had lost touch with her for a while. And then I heard that she was killed in a traffic accident. When I went to that funeral and saw this 30-something woman there in that casket, is all I could think of was, thank God she knew Christ. Thank God that she wasn't condemned or rejected by that congregation to where she gave up on Jesus. Thank God. Not that she was, was living in, in a, a bad relationship, but thank God there was grace and patience in that congregation to accept her where she was for then. I still miss her sometimes. I still wish I could go to the phone and call her and see how she was doing. But I know how she's doing because she's with Jesus. And that's what our goal is. Our goal is to reach out. To reach out to others who are sinning just like we have. Who are living in desperation for something better. And to offer them Jesus in a loving way. After all, it was Jesus that offered himself to us in more love than we could ever imagine. As we move into communion, we want to remember that night. He gathered his disciples together. That included the one that was about to betray him. And he set them at the table and he told them of what was about to happen. And he took the bread and he blessed it. And he said, take and eat, for this is my body given for you. And when they had eaten, he took the cup and he gave thanks. And he said, take and drink, for this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins for you and for many. Take and drink, and each time you do, do this in remembrance of me. Thanks be to God.